Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. The scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, the 25th chapter, verses 6 through 9. Hear with me now the words of the Lord. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all the peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, a rich food filled with marrow of well-aged wines strained clear. And he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that casts over all the peoples, the sheet that is spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord will wipe away tears from all the faces and the disgrace of his peoples he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on this day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him so that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation, for the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join with me in prayer? Almighty and gracious God, we gather. We gather and we remember. The lights that shine in front of us remind us of brothers and sisters who followed you, who listened to your words and who lived a life of faith. So may we on this morning hear your words ourselves. May we internalize them and be transformed so that we too leave this place like they did not as mere hearers of your word, but as doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. The word liturgy means the work of the people. So we think about the liturgy that we say in worship and it's our work. It's not just words on a page that we recite, but it's really our work. It's our work in faith. So I think about the liturgy that is used when we celebrate the life of one who has departed earth. In the service of death and resurrection, it begins with this liturgy. Dying Christ destroyed our death. Rising Christ restored our life. Christ will come again in glory as in baptism our loved one has put on Christ. So in Christ may they be clothed in glory. Here and now, dear friends. We are God's children. What we shall be has not yet been revealed, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Those who have this hope purify themselves as Christ is pure. See, in that very moment, in that very opening part of the liturgy, it sums up our faith and the faith of the deceased in this one succinct package. We come together on a day like All Saints Day. We come as a day of remembrance. The 54 names that we read have departed the church militant and they've joined the church triumphant. We remember their lives and the way they lived. It's very personal for many of us in this room because these are people that were loved ones, friends, folks that we looked up to. But All Saints Day is not just a day of remembrance. It's not just a memorial day. 
It's an act of faith. It's a sign of our hope. So as we, re- as we listen to their names being read, as we review those names, as we look at them on the page, it's a testament to their faith, yes, because we know where they are. But it's also a testament to ours that we are willing to release loved ones from this earthly plane. And while they are not with us, they are not forgotten. The lessons that they have taught us, the love that they have shared with us, they are not forgotten. Those who have this hope purify themselves as Christ is pure. So we read in the prophet Isaiah, we read those texts, God speaking to the people on, I mean, Isaiah speaking to the people on God's behalf. He talks about this great mountain. Now a mountain, people could understand that. It's large, it's immovable. You see it in a distance. It's permanent. It's larger than you can imagine. As you start up a mountain, you keep asking yourself, are we there yet? And then when you get on the top, you're amazed at what all you can see. But see, Isaiah's not talking about a mountain like Grandfather Mountain or Mount Mitchell or Everest. He's talking about heaven. Larger than we can imagine, out there for us to see, bigger than anything, and permanent, this sense. But it's there in heaven that we begin to experience this vast feast. That death is destroyed, that suffering is alleviated, that there is salvation available for all. See, Isaiah's promise to the people is that which something we can anchor our lives upon. That no matter what, no matter what we think of this world, that heaven is still out there for us. That it's a tenfold improvement. Even if we've had the best life in the best place, heaven's even better than that. If we have struggled, heaven alleviates all of that. That's God's promise to us. That's what Isaiah is laying out for the people that God promises that there is even more out there. Hold to your faith. Reminds me of what the singer-songwriter Mark Cohn wrote. He wrote this song, Saving the Best for Last. And so he he writes it from the perspective of hopping into a cab in New York City. And when you hop in a cab, you get one of two types of cab riders. It's kind of like on the airplane. You get one of two types of passengers beside you. You get the one that doesn't want to talk at all, Or you get the one that talks all the time. So he gets in his cabin, he gets the cabbie that wants to talk, and he says, he starts talking about heaven as if he thinks it's real. And he tells them, the angels are building a mansion in heaven. They're saving the best for last for me. Look around and tell me it ain't so. They're saving the best for last. Don't ask me how I know, because it must be saving the best for last for me. And he goes on in the song about how the cabbie keeps saying that heaven's got to be better. And when he gets there, he won't have to drive this dirty old cab anymore. He won't have to drive on the the rough, rutted streets of New York City. He's going to be able to walk on streets of gold. And the king picks up the tab. Now, I love that line. He says, you can have all you want to eat and the king picks up the tab. Because, folks, we know our faith tells us the king has picked up the tab. But think about that idea of picking up the tab you know, if you go out to dinner and you go out with friends and they say, the tab, it's, it's ours tonight. I mean, all of a sudden, no matter what you ate, is that much better, right? Because someone gave you a gift. But think with me about the fancy of, fanciest of feasts that you have ever experienced. 
Maybe it's your annual family holiday dinner where all the relatives pull in, or maybe it's a wedding reception and everyone's there and it's the finest of food served on the best of china with an elegantly decorated table and everybody's dressed up and looks just perfect. And that's great, right? But what makes it the best feast? Is it really the fine china? No. Is it really the fancy clothes? No. Is it really the food? Not so much. I mean, it's good. I mean, it's better than beanie weenies, right? But what makes it best is who's at the table with you. That you're gathered with your loved ones, the people that you care about most, your best friends, the folks that love you no matter what. That's what makes it the best. In just a few minutes, we're going to gather here at the Lord's table. We're going to gather there, and it's the best for us. It's the best feast ever. Even though it's a simple feast of bread and wine, it's the best. Why? Because we are gathered at the table together, all of us in this space, but we are surrounded by the communion of saints because the king is saving the best for last for you and for me. Tell me it ain't so. He's saving the best for last. Those who have this hope purify themselves as Christ is pure. Elsewhere in our communion liturgy, it quotes from Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, and it says, Death has been swallowed up in victory, and so thus the saying is sure, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And every time that I'm leading worship and get to that part of the liturgy, there are really two trains of thought that run right through my mind. One is thinking about conversations with the deceased in the days leading up to their passing on. And generally go along the line of this, I'm not worried about where I'm going. I've lived a good life. I've had a great life. I'm ready to meet my Savior. Some variation thereof, but then later I have a conversation with the families who are planning the service, and what we begin to hear is a similar refrain. Our hearts are broken. We will miss them. But they're no longer suffering. They're in a better place. Their bodies were worn out, and now they're whole again. See, these are statements of absolute faith and acknowledgement of the gift of heaven, yes, but even more so an acknowledgement and expectation of the abiding presence of God that walks with us every step of the way as we grieve the loss of one who we love so much. And that's where we get that peace that Isaiah was talking about, where the Lord God will wipe away all tears from all faces. Because in the midst of when we go up on that mountain, when a loved one ascends that mountain, our suffering ceases, their suffering ceases, but there is hope that we will see them again. And so what we have in that hope is this idea that every day in the midst of our loss, that we are comforted. We are comforted by the community, our brothers and sisters who sit right here in worship with us. Our loved ones from afar who come and check on us day in and day out and in the weeks and months and years to come. But that we are also surrounded by these saints of light and those that have passed on in years before and named in our hearts and that we are even accompanied by God as we walk that journey of grief and loss.
those who have this hope purify themselves as Christ is pure. And you can tell a lot about a person's life by the way they live. And you start to see, get a sense of this when you read the obituary, but remember the obituary because there's only so many words you can write in such a short span of time. And so it gives you a little bit about what matters most. But if you really want to hear what matters most in the lives of the saints who have left the church militant for the church triumphant, listen to what is said about them after the service. It's a visitation. Think about what friends and family, they say, they talk about this, they say, you'll never find a finer human being. Or they love their church, they love the Lord. I have no doubt where they are now. See, this tells a little bit about how they live their lives. And so what we get to, to dig into that when we hear those statements is it's someone that knew that they weren't perfect that knew that as much as we want to be independent, as much as we want to do things for ourselves, that we just know in our heart of hearts that we're going to stumble, that we're going to fall, that we're going to make mistakes, and that the only way that we can get up and try again is called grace. That God in heaven picks us up, dusts us off, and says, let's try that again. And then at the end of it all, when the game of life is over, when we leave the church militant to join the church triumphant, that we are welcomed home, well done, good and faithful servants. Welcome home, enter into your master's happiness. See the feast that I have laid out for you. And it's in that moment that we have been forgiven for just being who we are and trying to be better people, the people God wants us to be, that we are made whole that we've crossed the threshold of perfection. Those who have this hope purify themselves as Christ is pure. So this morning, we gather together. We gather on this All Saints Day. We see the lights of those who have gone before us. We know their love in our hearts. We hear their stories in our ears. We see the effects of their ministry. We live in the shade of trees that they have planted. And so as we gather at the Lord's table, as we share in the finest of feasts, we are not alone. They are right here with us, partaking of that feast at the table. And what a feast of promise, what a feast of grace, what a feast of love it is for us. Because those who have this hope purify themselves as Christ is pure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.